Okay, so welcome to the latest episode of um, the Locker Room Podcast. I've been off for a while. Um, Kieran has been, and Joe, they've come in and, and filled a few good episodes there. Um, number 21 today, I'm going to be hosting um, and chatting to Andrew Wiseman, a good friend of mine, sports scientist, SSC coach, um, soccer, football coach, uh, used to be a former player. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of details around his career. He was a good player. He probably won't... Um, probably won't admit that he was a good player and he got forced to, to retire due to injury quite early on. Um, so I'm going to be chatting to him. We're going to talk about his experiences at the minute with um, with Utah and his head of performance role over there in the Women's um, uh, Super League. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about his experiences in America and also his career, how he got there, how we uh, came about speaking. And Andrew's very, very active on social media. He's got a lot of views around um, around recovery, sports science, training. He's got good experience, so it'd be great to uh, to pick his brain today. So I'm really looking forward to hosting him and, and welcoming welcoming him on the podcast. Uh, we're keeping it international after after we went from Terry Phelan from India, so should be a good one. Uh, before I just wait for Andrew to come on, just want to say a big um, big thank you and a big shout out to our sponsors, Ritz. So R Y P T. .app, uh, rip.app, who are an online training platform who can basically pro give programs, can monitor programs, can give good demos, video demos, and, and can be used for all coaches, um, all coaches, sports scientists, SNC coaches to program remotely, get good interaction, good feedback on that. It's a great platform that the guys, Cormac and the guys are doing. We're now signed up. Um, signed up with those and, and are using them for some online training at DSS and, and some one-to-one -one stuff. And if you head over to dailysportscience.com, you can get two months free with the guys there at Ritz, uh, which is great value. And you can start investing on it, whether it's one-to-ones or whether it's team-based stuff, really good tool to use for remote training and can have a whole host of different training modalities on there, whether that's the technical work, whether that's the physical work, et cetera, et cetera. So big shout out to our sponsor, rip.app. Um, thank you very much and just going to wait now for Andrew Wiseman to come through and uh, he'll be on shortly so enjoy the episode Andrew, Andrew how are you mate? How are you, mate? I'm not too bad I'm not too no, bad thank, thanks for joining us <laughs> no problem I know you're busy man. I did say we're going live from the start so I know we're probably both a bit cautious about what we want to say <laughs> No, I'm only, I'm only joking. It's a pleasure to have you on, mate. How, how are things? Uh, yeah, it's been um, a pretty eventful few months. Um, obviously, we're just on the back now, uh, probably about four, just over four weeks ago. We uh, we had a tournament, uh, or our tournament ended. We went out in the quarterfinals. So, yeah, it's been different. And the players all came back in uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then we went through that whole process again of, you know, the household individual training with small groups before we got them back into full training two days ago. So uh, it's been interesting, a lot of uh, spinning plates and, and thinking on our feet. For sure. And how has that affected not only you, but the team in terms of that constant, you know, the training, isolated training, small group training, has it had a big impact on the team as a performance wise and also mental side? Um, so I think... Um, from a physical side, we were really pleased. Uh, obviously, we have players based all around the... At the time, we were on our second day of pre-season, so we didn't have any of our internationals back uh, when they called 
uh, a, a halt to all of the training. So we had players all the way across the US and in Europe. Uh, so everything, when I say remotely, was seriously remote. Um, but the players came back in really good uh, condition. We, we we tried to maybe not do as many tests as we would do. In fact, we only did one. But we just wanted to see where they were. We gave them constant little testing batteries that they could do at home um, over the course of the, the two months or whatever it was. So uh, they everyone came back really well. And, you know, we did our best to accommodate the players. And they had uh, – we're really fortunate here that we've got world-class facilities with a lot of equipment so we managed to uh, get stuff out to the players and then the the thing I found is it was changing day by day Um, and there were a lot of things we just couldn't answer and obviously people got questions about when they're going to be back and we couldn't answer and I think that sometimes when you don't have a lot of clarity there becomes frustration and I think we had to be um, really aware of that 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 was the case Um, you know, for all of us, for staff and players. So, uh, but really pleased with how everyone came back and uh, went into obviously individual household, a small group, and then back into full training, then into a tournament, and then back again uh, to do the same. Uh, the league actually told the players, the league told the players when they would be back uh, to their clubs and when we could start training. And that was just dependent on COVID testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Andrew, I've done a little intro before you come in and I said um, I said you was a very good player. I said you might not admit it, but from a football point of view, you played yourself and you was a good player. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, I knew, I knew you'd say that. You're modest and you had to retire because of injury. I, I guess we'll jump. Let's jump in from there. Just so everyone knows, so we've, I've turned this podcast kind of performance for the big day. I think you've got such a good um, like knowledge, such a broad skill set of knowledge. And I thought if we focus on the, the big day itself in terms of competitive games and even maybe beyond that in terms of cup games and, and the different things that come towards that. But we'll paint the picture first, if that's all right, from, from your from your yes, journey, because sure. it's a fascinating one. Um, in terms of your playing career then, do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe how that had an influence on on where you've gone to where you've got to now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, 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 was, I was talking to one of our coaches here the other day who, believe it or not, is actually from my hometown out in Hertfordshire. Uh, and we both ended up the same club in Salt Lake City, which is you know, bizarre. But uh, as a youth player, I wasn't probably about 12 or 13. Um, I was thrust into a, a, a game at school. And I think they thought, oh, he's not bad. And uh, suddenly they were like talking about going on trials. I didn't really... I really know too much about it. And then we moved to um, from Kent, actually, to Hertfordshire. Um, and again, I wasn't really... I think I wanted to be a pilot or something like that. And uh, one day, the PE teacher came up to me with an envelope saying, this is for the best kids playing. And I was like, oh, really? Um, so anyway, I was probably about... I think I was about 12 or 13 at that time. And so I went along to these camps and I was like, do you know what? I think I want to give it a go. And and be a footballer and then um, I was lucky I got selected for the county um, and then I started to gain more and more trials and um, at different clubs and then Watford, Southampton, Gillingham, uh, spent some time down in Bristol, uh, I was up at St Mirren for a couple of days, that was too cold um, and got to play but I, I was a little bit unfortunate that I, I, I picked up an injury uh, playing in a game, I went up for a header and someone came down on the top of my ankle. And in those days, there wasn't really much in the way of support 
for, for players. It just didn't happen. It was just like, well, there you go. There's, there's nothing else for you. And I remember that game really well because someone was from Tottenham uh, was watching, and Crystal Palace actually, were watching the game. And I heard the scout said, you know, we can't take him now, but wherever he goes, he'll be an asset. And I was, it's probably always stuck in my mind. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a nice thing to say, but probably not what I wanted to hear. But um, I think we had a bit of a misdiagnosis with my ankle. Um, and then I started to get back playing um, in and around sort of semi-professional teams. And then there was talk of going to, to other teams and, and, and all this was going on. But I just my ankle just wouldn't fix. And we couldn't work out. So one surgeon was like, right, we're going to take it apart. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, and it was probably about two years. Um, and I remember the last operation quite well because um, the guy that did it had just operated on Chris Sutton, who at that time was the most expensive striker, I think, in British football. Um, so he was like, you know, he was an ankle expert. Um, and then from then on, uh, I went over to, I actually went over to play in Ireland. Uh, but my ankle just gave way again. So I was playing, you have the, the League of Ireland, I played the league just below that, uh, which was great because a lot of the players there had all come back from from pro clubs. And um, But my ankle just went again and I got into, I'd been into coaching actually from the age of 16. Um, I was lucky that Chelsea allowed me and Sean Gore at Chelsea, who he's still there. Um he gave me a role uh, within the community scheme there and I kind of got a little bit of the bug. And um, when I was at college and still playing football, one of the teachers was like, you know, you're not bad at this. And I was like, it's not 18, you know, yeah, whatever. So was she know, you know? Uh, but then when I went over to Ireland, I set up my own uh, academy. Um, so I ran that for a couple of years, but obviously the, the way the economy was when I was there, it wasn't great. So I decided to return to the UK. Um, by that time, I was in my mid-30s and someone convinced me to play and I went to play and uh, went to press someone and my ankle snapped underneath me. So it's now plated and screwed. Um, I, when I was in Ireland, I actually started my undergraduate degree and the PFA had helped me out. I think at that time, they paid about 80, 80% of it. But stupidly running my academy, I was like, oh, you know, I can't do two things at once and probably found that that's, you know, probably running on skill sets now because I have to but um so I gave that up and then in 2011 when I trashed my ankle um I thought well there has to be a better way of you know getting better and I'd always been intrigued like I'd always been into sort of maybe lifting weights and stuff like that but I wanted to know why things occurred really just being a bit curious and I, I started to rehab myself and um read as much as I could. So I reapplied to go back to university about 18 months later and they took me back uh, up at Manchester Met and, and that was it really. And then was lucky to, to start working for some pro clubs and uh, being around there. And uh, here we are now in, in the USA. So it's been a, an in, probably not the most conventional journey, uh, but an interesting one. We'll get onto some of your more, let's say, sports science roles in, in a little bit. But in terms of the coaching side and the playing side, I always ask people that played the game and, and stuff. You know, I, I we spoke before on your podcast, uh, like I had a similar journey. Not I didn't make it, not because of injury, I made it because I didn't make it, like many of the people here. But do you think that early experience in football gives, not gives you advantage, but changes your perspective on how you do your day-to-day -day job now? Uh, yeah, I think it does. I think it comes down to uh, common language with the coaches because 
I always try and look at the drills that they're doing and try and understand what it'd be like for, for me in there. I know the game's changed remarkably since, since my younger days. Uh, but I think the skills of that allows you to just look at things and try and understand what message they're trying to get across. You know, when I'm monitoring training on the sideline, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, working out the tactical emphasis if they haven't let me know. Um, but trying to sort of see what's going on there and have a picture in my mind of, you know, what the outputs will be. I guess that's the other side of it. You're looking at, okay, what what's this, you know? So it's good that I'm able to talk to, to coaches and they're able to talk to me and we can talk about possession drill versus a small-sided game versus, you know, opening the pitch out and, and what they're trying to get through. And we had an interesting conversation yesterday, actually, about, you know, working through transition and things like that. Okay, so what can we put into that? If You know, what drills have we got for those that can accommodate the coaches, but also the physical side? Mm-hmm. Um, but I say it's not that easy in the physical side as well because um, I've always maintained that you should get things. You know, this conversation comes up all the time with uh, with many coaches about getting the, the things through playing a game. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's okay, but there's other principles that we need to think of. And um, sometimes we do need to isolate things. I know we had a conversation, me and you, oh God knows how long about Maz runs mm-hmm. and, you know, and. Uh, those kind of things which we try to get a little bit more high speed running out of them so they're isolated drills but you know when you talk to the coaches you say the drills are uncontrolled mm-hmm. when you have a controlled environment you know what you're going to get out of it and and i think it's blending those two i mean i was horrendous at running and i hated it i was a i started as a forward it was based on i wouldn't say power because it wasn't that big uh, maybe skill and speed but um I think you, you, you try to look from their perspective. You try to look from the outside. Okay, what are they trying to achieve here? And how can how can, how can I, as a sports scientist, try and accommodate that for them? Sometimes you look at drills and go, I think we'll get what we want out of it. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you're like, can you bring the wing backs in a little bit, try and protect them? Um, because if they're constantly chasing down the line and um, things like that, they start to accumulate maybe some excess that we hadn't planned for. And, and, and everything you plan for is generally up and down anyway. So <laughs> I think it really helps just having some form of language with them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think it's a really good point you made about the isolated stuff, because if you think about like if they do a technical practice, like a passing practice, you're overloading repetitions of passing. It's not necessarily the realism you'd get in the game. So I always use them sort of analogies when you're looking at physical stuff as well. Um, yeah, really good. I think the common language is, is fantastic, Andrew. Andrew, you reached out to me and we'll get onto social media in a minute in terms of how we, how we like come about. You reached out to me on social media and, and you know, we hadn't met each other before um, and just said, look, I'm really interested in coming down to, to watch you guys at London and when we was in a, a London Gaelic. I know you've played in Ireland. You've got a, a little bit of an affiliation with Ireland, maybe because you played there. What's your experiences as GA as a sport? Because we've got quite a lot of um, listeners that will come from a GA background. The podcast is very heavy with GA. What's your experiences with that? And then any views you've got around around the sport? I'm laughing because I actually played. Uh, someone, I played for Colin Kills in St Albans. Oh, okay. And someone thought that... Um, one of the guys that I played with was like, well, he could play soccer, he can play this. And it was just completely different. <laughs> uh, I'm a big Gaelic fan. I, I quite like the hurling. Um, my grandmother was from Ireland. Um, you know, I've uh, love Irish in my family. So it's, it, it's, it's, you know, I lived there for seven years and I got to Croke Park on quite a few occasions and um, Sylvester's in Malahide because I lived out that way. I would go and watch them and a lot of my friends played. So uh, I love watching the Gaelic. 
Um, I had it actually on in the gym here last year. And people were like, what was that? I had the hurling on. I was like, oh, you, had, you need to watch this. And it was Cork and Clare, potentially. I can't remember who it was. But, um, yeah, I have a big – I love watching Gaelic. And, uh, you know, I do read a lot of your guys' stuff as well because I have an interest in it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> I, I wasn't the best player. I think when they were telling me that, um, you, you know, it's quite zonal. Uh, and of course as a soccer player I was going in and out and trying to find like space where am I going in there and this big guy's come through the back of me um, but I, I really like GAA and, I, and I've actually seen how it's progressed and uh, as we know it's an am amateur sport but it's progressed more and more and the professionalism now within GAA and when I moved to Ireland in 2004 uh, Dublin were massively underachieving you know for the size of Dublin and um, and then I always joke that uh, I've, you know, Donny would be one of my teams, and um, they never won anything when I was there. And then when I came back, they won an All Ireland and Dublin. I think won four when I moved back. They didn't win anything when I was there. So, um, but yeah, I was many times on the hill, and uh, there were always great occasions when, when especially when Dublin was playing, living in Dublin. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of of, of Gaelic, and I, I'm actually glad to see a lot more research coming out in it now as well. Is, is taking off a lot, isn't it? And that professionalism and is is dripping into more of a structured way. If, if so, I'm sure they all, always had support staff, but maybe it's becoming a bit more um, popular. More people invested in working in yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think they've they've really changed the, or raised the bar even in GAA. Mm. I think you know it's so big in Ireland. You you can't explain it to people outside of Ireland and and obviously the big Irish population in the UK. So apart from that, you go to other countries like here. Uh, in the US, is you're trying to explain it, it just looks crazy. But <laughs> I mean, hur hurling's so quick. You know, those guys are, uh, you know, the footballers are fit guys, uh, but the hurlers are, are something else. You know, it's it's a great sport. Well, interesting. When Kieran, you come and obviously watch the training session that we did. But when Kieran said, yeah. to you, "Do you want to be involved in in the sport Gaelic football?" I, I didn't have a clue what it was, and that was honest truth. I was like, "Mate, I don't have a clue what the, the sport is." So, it's it's just crazy how how there's all over the world. It's 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 not known in some areas, but it's so big in obviously in Ireland and pockets around the world. So, yeah, I did read that um, GAA or and like hurling and football were. I think it was the biggest minority sport in the UK or fastest growing, uh, which is incredible because, uh, as I say, I've still got good friends down at uh, Column Kills in St Albans and I haven't been along to watch them for quite some time because I've been away, but um, maybe I'll get back at some point and, and, and see a game. London was actually one of the first games I ever saw many years ago. They did actually play Donegal out at Ryslip. Oh, um, so, yeah, uh, me and my best mate went along. i never forget, it was pouring rain. Uh, <laughs> as you, It was like Donegal. Yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was actually pouring rain, but yeah, I have a huge, uh, I have a huge interest in it. And maybe somewhere, who knows, in the, in the future, maybe somewhere I'd like to work in. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Never know where, where you're going to end up, for sure. Um, let's kick off a little bit of your sports science journey before then we delve into a bit more of the technical role. So, You've had some very contrasting roles, let's say, in terms of an academy role um, at Stevenage, first team roles in the men's game at Charlton, Wellwyn City down where you were at Hertfordshire, and then Exeter as well. And then in the women's sport as well, you've had some quite high profile roles with Celtic leading up to sports science there and currently now with Utah. What are the main, let's say, differences and different situations you've been in amongst those roles? And then there might be some collectives as well and biggest learning things you've taken through, through your journey, Andrew. 
Oh, there's 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 loads. I think um, I probably think when I joined Charlton, it's just an assistant, just going along and helping them. And uh, Lawrence Bloom now is obviously at Millwall, uh, helping him out. And uh, they nearly got relegated that season. And I think they had three managers when I was there. So um, and I know was due to go in one day, and there was you know they had a really heavy. Um, fixture schedule and it was congested and they're like we don't need you now for the rest of the season because it's just going to be games but you know they stayed up that year and, and getting to know players and understanding how they're thinking and it's probably that was probably one of the biggest learning curves seeing the staff how they're reacting and as you know if you're sometimes when you're at the bottom of the league it, it can be difficult to to motivate everyone mm-hmm. and stay motivated so they were great observations um well in garden was just my local team I'd played for them and I'd said I'd help them out and we had a good little FA Cup run and that was that was interesting because you're working with players that are obviously not professionals come from different backgrounds have to work um, I, 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 at one point I think we were the first ever uh, non-league team to use a GPS uh, player tech helped us out and uh, I think with GPS then I was still learning the ropes with it and, and, and looking at how we could use that in a part-time scenario. We only had five pods, but the manager would say, look, I want to have a look at him. And he took a bit more of an interest. And it was good. I think it was, it was good working. It was good practice. Um, you know, because in those leagues, like League Two, when I was there, you know, it's Tuesday, Saturday. And, it, you know, recovery is the last thing on a part-time player's mind. So, you know, how can we help those players on match day? How can we prepare them so they're best prepared? And, um for what's coming for them, you know. Bear in mind, they could have been working that morning. Um, when I, Stevenage was an academy role, um, my one and only real academy roles at Category Three, um, that was again interesting. Really, had to think on 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 um, on our feet there. I was mainly with the under 18s um, which is brilliant. Some of them actually, when I was at Exeter City, I saw a few of them because they were all playing at different clubs, uh, and that was nice. Um, I'm glad they remembered <laughs> remembered me. Uh, I'd certainly remember them from their gym days, but uh, you know they're grown men now, uh, and and that's been interesting to to, to watch. And then obviously moving up to Celtic and uh, working with the women, and I think in women's football, um, it's, you know it's grown so much. We were having a conversation here in the office the other day that you know, the USA were dominant for so long, but actually looking at the last FIFA reports, a lot of Germany, France, England are really starting to catch these teams up, not just uh, technically, but physically as well. It was always that athletic dominance in the US. But now when you look at some of the outputs that came out of the last World Cup, it's incredible to see all these teams catching up. Um, so it's it's only going to get bigger. And, um, you know, blessed here in, in Utah that, I can't. I did work it out once. I think we've got five, possibly six World Cup winners and about seven or eight Olympic gold and bronze medalists, which is is just an absolute. You know, even now, over a year here, you think, look at what these these ladies have achieved in their career. It's just, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, when you say to, it's funny when you know you talk to someone. Oh, I won the World Cup twice. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I really value their input as players because they're helping me grow and learn. And you know, working with that calibre. Um, you know, and 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 some of them played in London in 2012. Although not many of the games were actually played in London. I think they were Glasgow and Manchester. So uh, 
it was interesting. But yeah, Celtic have uh, evolved now. They're now full-time uh, with the women. Seeing that evolution, I left there in 2018, but seeing that, and I still speak to the staff there, you know, on the men and women's side, maybe once or twice a week. Um, you know, it is the club that I grew up supporting, and, you know, I, it was an absolute, being the most successful period, and hopefully this year as well, unfortunately to go out of the Champions League there the other night, but, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was my club, so I, I just knowing the history of the club and, and the people that work there is, is incredibly culturally, um, you know, uh, it was a fantastic experience and one that I'll, maybe I lived a dream a little bit, but that's that's something that I'll live the rest of my life. You know, I got to two cup finals with the girls and unfortunately we lost them. Um, but, you know, you learn from those things and, and obviously the guys being so successful and I was there for two trebles. Uh, so that was nice. Um, Nice and interesting. Then I moved to Exeter down in League Two, and again that was a different experience because really when you're you're at that level, um, and no disrespect to anyone in League Two, but they play such a high volume of games, uh, and there isn't the luxuries of like here where we'll fly to a game. You know we have games uh, coming up soon where we'll just fly in and fly out. Um, you know so we have that there. Uh, you don't have that in, in in League Two. You know you'll stay over the night before the game and you'll come back a midweek game. You might get in at four or five in the morning. So again, that was a real learning um, curve for me. Um, there was a lot going on. I looked after the 23s as well, uh, as well as the first team. So, you know, a day was was very, very long and intense and, and, and you know, tougher times. But uh, I don't regret it. And then I, I thoroughly enjoyed my, my team. I watched them in the playoffs this year and uh, texted a few of the lads wishing them luck. So, uh, but I left there and... Fortunately, this job came up in the USA and I had actually spoken uh, to Utah before, Laura Harvey, the manager here, and, and at the time it wasn't it wasn't for me. Um, and then it had come up and I thought, you know what, I was actually sitting watching a US game with my mum. And I went, you know what, if a job came up in America, I'd take it. And she just looked at me, really? And I'm like, yeah. And then two days later, I got a call and it was like, would you be interested? We're looking for someone. And was really lucky and as I touched on there the, the caliber of athlete and player that we have here is, is is remarkable so been here just over a year now and obviously we were a little bit disrupted uh, with with COVID and especially in the US but um, it's great there's a lot of a um, lot of practitioners out here uh, both UK and Ireland um, practitioners so that's good we all talk to each other and even in the MLS and uh, try and bang our heads together um, it's, it's definitely a different way of working here you know there's a I think in, in league football in the UK you have the manager um, in, in Ireland as well you have the manager and then he oversees everything here you'll have a general manager you'll have a vice president and the operational side is different so mm -hmm. I think that took a bit bit of getting used to actually um, so it's been interesting <laughs> so who where does that leave you then day to day like if you, do you have a head coach who takes care of the football staff and then you're primarily in charge of the physical staff is it is there anyone overseeing you from the grass or is it just people working in different departments uh rail salt lake our men's side have a, a director of performance uh, so we bang our heads together uh, on my side you know we're, we're the same club but we're different teams yeah, yeah. Um, so I run this side and, and he runs his side really well and we have access to all the same facilities we've got two three training grounds here 
that we use. So our, we're primarily based at the stadium and uh, down the road at our training ground and they're about 10 miles away from here. So um, yeah, generally me day to day, it's uh, talk with my, my head athletic trainer and uh, collate as much information as we can, speak to the management in the morning. We generally plan the sessions before so I'll give them a weekly overview of you know, pitch sizes and what the days physically I would like them to look at. We've put videos into those now so the coaches have a, a really good idea of what drills to select. Um, we had a change in coaching staff around about February. So again, we sort of got going and then had to call everything off. So their philosophies and, and principles are something we discuss a lot. Um, and then just making sure everyone's ticking over and 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 how we go that we we have a nutritionist here as well and uh, who's brilliant Michelle she's she's superb and I work closely with her certainly when I first came here last year it was something one of the areas I think I, I spoke to a lot of uh, younger practitioners and they've got new roles and it's like don't try and change the world straight away just look at the small little things you can you can start to change you know we've only there's certain things we've implemented this year and it's just a gradual process because uh, what was the most important thing when we came here uh, and, and how are we going to progress things. So really lucky with, with the staff that we have here. They're all absolutely brilliant uh, from our kit manager, Carly, to our head athletic trainer, Emily. You know, I, I couldn't speak higher enough of, of the staff here. So it's great to have that, uh, that everybody's got an input, everyone's got a voice. Uh, we don't always agree. Uh, and mainly that's me and the technical coaches, but that, that's, you know, I think sometimes that's good. You know, we, we, we try and find a way of, um, you know, nothing is personal. It's, you know, it's, it, you have to be critical and you have to find fine points and try and try and refine them. Um, and they're difficult conversations that you need to have on a daily basis, but it could be with a player, you know, recently we've seen some, some unusually high loads on players. It's like, right, let's, let's talk to them. Let's show them what we have and say, look, this is our reasoning for maybe you're going to do a bit less today. Um, so I think that communication and getting a message across is, it's just vital in, in such a fast pace. I mean, I tend to get here about half six, half six in the morning. Players don't normally arrive till any time between half eight and, and, and maybe half nine. And then after that, it's just carnage. Like, <laughs> you have so many people in here. It's just like, right, okay. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter how much time you have before the training starts. That window just before training feels like you just couldn't get nothing done, doesn't it? And anyone in the sport will understand that. Yeah, you're always panicking on the way to the training ground. <laughs> Did I forget this? Have I got this? Have I got yeah. that? I've got my plan. Uh, yeah, I, must go, I must go through my training bag about five times when, if, on the way there and when I'm there. Because I just hate, um, like, you just want everything so well organised and then there's a curveball thrown in something happens it's just like you do but you don't get used to it no you you never get used to it and depending on the character you are i think you're very similar to me in terms of organization stuff as well andrew i just want to pick up on that because i think that's a great point about being sometimes you have to be really critical and have those difficult conversations with coaches because like i, th I think um let's say uh practitioners that come into the game and, and they're inexperienced let's say it's easy to go exactly with what the coach says to please them but you're you've got to remember that your job is to advise them on what you think the best thing is physically whether that's to alter a drill, whether it's to come off some players, whether it's to push some players. And ultimately, if they don't take them on board, fair enough, but you still have to put your case forward, right? And that's a skill that maybe comes with experience, do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, you certainly can't, I think it comes to compromise uh, in the end. I think compromise is the biggest thing. You know, I think coaches know that 
we make decisions based on the physical side from, or I always tell the coaches, my job is to be as objective as possible. Mm-hmm. So I need to look at, you know, the person and the best for the team. And then, and then and some of the players I spoke with in recent days, it's like, you know, everything is for the, the team. It's for the decision of, of the team and, and how we're going to progress them. Now uh, I thought, the coaches and uh, we did a great job for the tournament. We kept everyone on the pitch. That's what we said we would do because we had three three games. We had five games in uh, fifteen days or something like that, uh, which was in, you know it's incredible. Like you know trying to turn that round. So before we went into that, what can we do? What little things can we we tweak for the players? You know for their benefit. And, uh, we got the unicorns out in the pool like from England, but <laughs> they yeah, say they yeah. did it first. So yeah, <laughs> we had that kind of stuff, and um, you know, looked at how we can give them a timeline for nutrition and things. So uh, being critical is, you know, we can sit in meetings and talk all day uh, with the coaches stuff about what went right, what went wrong. Um, but I think it's trying to find a common ground for them to understand because. You know, I don't want them to ever walk away and think, well, I didn't get that right. And it's like, no, you know, we're, we're never going to get things 100% right. These things happen as a result or, or a product of the session. When it's controlled, that's different. If it's controlled and we're working on certain things and I haven't, that's, that's completely down to my design. Mm-hmm. So conversations we've had is, right, was our session design right? You know, what can we do next time? Can we, you know, um, can we change that? Can we make that better? So even from things like, you know, we, we're critical of each other, things like change around times. Was it too long uh, that we were talking to players or how quickly did we change drills? You know, did we cut the rest times or could we have added more in? So I think they're good questions. And, uh, you know, I think you do have to be a little bit critical because I want them to be critical of, of me. Exactly. You know, I want them to turn around and say, that wasn't good enough because I think that pushes you every day to be at your best uh, and you have to be you know because i I see it that if if i me personally and 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 i probably talk with a lot of us you know of a lot of the stuff if we're not giving our best every day then there's only one group of people that are being deprived uh, and it isn't the coaches or performance stuff yeah yeah it's it is it is all about the player and how we can you know keep them you know, relaxed and ready to perform and push them when we need to and pull back when we need to. I don't think it's hard. I hate the conversations when you have to go to a player and say, look, you know, we'll maybe just lessen this a little bit because I firmly believe players want to be out there. And But if you if, if you try and be as clear as possible and say, this is the reason why, yeah. then they'll start to understand and they don't have a problem. with. When it comes to things like conditioning, they're like, oh, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, uh, um, it is hard because you have to make a call on. And again, it goes back to that person. How do you know that player? And there's some players you go, that's, that's just them. There's others players you're like, okay, there's, there's something here that maybe isn't right and could put them at risk. And I think that's a message after uh, we, we, we've got better at here. And they're saying, look, you know, my response is health and, and wellness of those players along with the athletic trainer. We're going to give you that view and we're going to tell you how it is. You know, you can... You can take that on board, we can act on it, or we can, you know, uh, choose to ignore it. So, yeah, great stuff. And I think that sort of environment, that open environment, is what brings everyone, you know, brings everyone up and, and increases everyone's ability to, to develop the players and the team overall. Andrew, let's, let's delve into the, the, the second part, the, the first part. The kind of I knew we'd talk forever, so we could talk forever about certain <laughs> it's my things. Fault. No, no, no. It's, it, honestly, we could just talk about low stuff. Let's talk about this performance on the big day. And, and I've kind of 
broken it down into the major the major areas let's say that that can contribute towards that um in my mind the first thing is around periodization so you've probably worked with lots of different coaches lots of different models what in an ideal world what would your go-to periodization model be and thinking more microcycle really leading up towards the the, the game at the weekend if you've got a, a one game a week and then how that affects things over longer terms yeah so it's a question um that's been in my mind I, and it goes back to 2013 at charlton when i said to the the head of sports science and performance oh you know what periodization model do you mean and he's like uh, do you use and you've read all the classic texts and you know it's conjugated or whatever whatever it was block and and he's like are you for real like you know <laughs> and i was and that was like okay so then you realize that you can go in some with all these ideas of like all these models in your head and actually the applied setting is completely different because you know different demands of players tactical here we have travel we could be on the road for a week um so then you make a calls on well actually like we don't need to do that much and that i i think the closest that well tactical periodization is a is a football specific model mm. people can argue all day long about the empirical research of it and, and, and data to back it up does it or doesn't it and you know i'm not really interested in that what i'm interested in is how is it communicated um to the coaches so i was having a discussion with the coach here yesterday and she said you know you just want it like that and i was like yeah and i was like that's perfect if you <laughs> understand that's the way we want it i'll take that all day long yeah, yeah like yeah. you know because in my mind you're always trying to get that message across so and just for those andrew sorry that aren't, aren't watching the video you just done oh, a, yeah. yeah no just done a demonstration of a bar chart of highs and lows etc just so because yeah, i'm just thinking yeah. how people listen to this on the car or whatever yeah yeah. It was actually Selye's uh, general adaptation syndrome classic uh, superconversation. I just drew that with my finger. <laughs> <laughs> just in case people are listening on the road, that's what it was. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, when, when you hear that from a coach, you're like, okay, you know, and, and even like, um, how is it going to be? So, what are the coaches thinking? Can, I'm not a huge fan of using percentages of match load, but is that what they understand best? Uh, and that's something I'm, I'm actually working on today and how we can change that feedback to say look that person did 120% of their match load today that's too much that person did 40% it's not enough or 30% mm -hmm. dependent on the day so I think it's ebbs and flows really um, but I think I don't think there's any set model um, I just think it's getting that balance right between training and recovery you know mm -hmm. Uh, here one of the things that we like to do is switch intensive with extensive um but then you get you know and say okay today uh, you know even in terms of strength speed endurance whatever people call that reactions or you know uh, as as someone said to me about um brendan rogers model of period or tactical period it's just a bastardization of it and i'm like yeah it is and you're taking those terms which means something different in in the in a true tactical model for our day's model but the coaches understand that so speed speed of play and then i'll try and expose the players to the above that 90 percent max velocity strength we want small spaces more axles decels changes direction pull the spacing you know uh, endurance which is different because if you don't do a four or five day leading it changes slightly mm -hmm. but they still know they need to be bigger space and more aerobic based um so that's how we try and do it and uh, here and I think you've got to take things from every different model um, and try and adapt that to, to what your head coach wants and 
it isn't that easy, you know. And, and, you know the, that famous Dutch guy. He, he's got his views on things and it's like, okay, fair enough, but it isn't the only way. And I think that can be, things are misinterpreted massively. Like, okay, this is the way it is. And it's just anybody that works in an applied setting will tell you um, completely different. You know, I was really lucky here. The manager said, I, I really believe in your model. And I was like, it's not my model. It's taken from about <laughs> everything, you know, on, on how we can do that basketball, hockey, you know, yeah, yeah. obviously football taking all these different things and I firmly believe that everything in that day so if you're working on a strength day in small spaces like 1v1 to 4v4 whatever it is then everything in the gym has to uh, work on that the prehab or activation or whatever you want to do all has to be specific to that um, so we try and do our best to accommodate what the coaches want but they, we also make them aware that on different days there's different physical outputs and that's that's really for me that's the periodization if you're working on different physical qualities each day yes you can argue that working from small spaces into bigger ones yeah hamstring quad activation what is that you know how are we going to know that really? I think we're going on intuition and say, well, yeah, because there's a lot of access details and then open it out. And I think sometimes you just swap days around uh, based on how those people are reporting. So I think you've got to have a plan, but you've got to have something behind that as well and uh, underlying principles and, and, and say, right, this is what we want. You know, like I say, like, you know, if you're using a small space day, we can use that to work on pressing uh, and, uh, you know, offensive uh, or defensive organization and those kind of things so building everything around that day have your overview but build everything into that day and um, we try and do that on a weekly basis again things change based on how those players are reporting was it too much for them yesterday so you've got to you've got to be flexible for sure I really like that and I think I listened to Tom Allen this morning on the Football Fitness uh, Federation podcast and he spoke about as long as you've in his mind as long as you've got some intensive type training extensive type training you're doing your max speed work and it's you're, you're giving them that variation within that microcycle then you're preparing the players hopefully for the ultimate game at the weekend and you know the organization of that might differ depending on the club the philosophy the practitioner but it's just making sure you you tick all those boxes and you're not saturating in one box all the time, I guess. Yeah, and I think you can, you know, progressive overload. So you may have a lighter week where if you use a classic 4v4 small-sided game, you might do three blocks of four minutes. The next week, you might do four blocks. You know, there's no harm. You're just, you're only, and, and, and one thing that we did here was take all the dimensions together. Uh, what the expected physiological adaptation would be but also added on what the tactical side would be so it's, it's actually sitting looking at me now so we know that we're going to get you know higher passing and receiving on a 4v4 when we open it out it's going to be different mm-hmm. we're going to get more shooting actions in a 1v1 so they know ta- technically what they're going to get i know physically and then you just try and pull it together and the, I, I really think there's you know tom little said it to me once you know if you get those games right you, you're not really that far off yeah. You know, if you can, there are times when you might have two weeks where you would do four blocks of four minutes and the next week you have to do four blocks of four minutes because of everything else around that, the game and there might be travel. It's, you know, you really have to just think ahead a little bit and, and try and work with the coaches. Sometimes, you know, you look at it and you go, they've done three, you know, we might have to take a block out. I, I just don't get excess volume for the sake of it and yeah. putting drills in just to do drills 
I guess, I guess that's always been a little bit of a bugbear with me in terms of prescribing exactly like the sets of the games at the end, because it also depends on the amount of volume they did in their possession practice, or like that might have give you a lot of your, let's say, intensity in that. So just adding the games on sometimes can just, if you're just looking at the games, can be a little bit blindsided as an overall training load. Um, but you're right, it, it's completely adaptable and, and the game structure is fairly important. You just mentioned there about how they report then, Andrew. How does the monitoring, what sort of things are you looking at when you monitor? What sort of um, resources do you have where you are? And then how does that then impact your, your program on, on a daily basis, on a larger basis, et cetera? Yeah, so we obviously collect our wellness data, um, you know, sleep, soreness, mood, fatigue. Um, Again, I think those wellness questionnaires and they're not particularly well validated, but they have a use. I think they certainly have a use. I think they're conversation starters. I, 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 you know, over time, uh, I think you have to understand: is that normal for that person? I've seen thirty-eight-year-olds on match day plus two, not a problem. I've seen twenty-two-year-olds where they're struggling to recover. Okay, well, if this is recurring consistently over time then we know that you know there may need to be some intervention or you know a, a chat with that player uh, i think you start to know your players better and their trends what they can handle what's good what's not good what drill might stress them a little bit more how are they going to react it's easy to just look at things and go oh my god someone's had four hours of sleep or well, it's once in mm-hmm. 10 weeks it isn't gonna or what about a risk of injury it's like come on like you know <laughs> they're, they're um, like, my little boy's two, Andrew, so I've probably had four four hours kit for the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, you know, I think you, you those things you have to spot those trends and look at them over a period of time and, and try not to jump the gun and just make assumptions based on on wellness data. Within that, um, we're lucky we have null boards, four stacks here, um, obviously GPS as well. And we try and integrate everything. Um, the the four stacks we actually introduced on a weekly basis during the last or the original preseason. We've actually taken it out now because it was just pointless us doing it in a tournament with such a short turnaround. You you're not going to get maximal values. Um, you you just I, don't, I think the percentage change would be well it would actually just be going down. I would predict uh, because you're not going to see someone sufficiently recover neuromuscularly so we try i think when we look at our our monitoring we're trying to get a bigger picture so you know at four steps we're looking at neuromuscular strength the wellness data how's that person going and and how we can try and bring those together and form a better picture of how that player is responding um or recovering or whatever is that we're looking at so uh, we're really good here the captain has been incredible in driving the wellness uh, i think we have um well we do i think we're about 99 percent compliance every day mm-hmm. um there's always that you know that one percent and that's actually due to players that are not here at the moment so uh she's been incredible in driving that uh, and, and and again, that came to conversations with the players about why we look at this. How can we spot these trends? And um, obviously, in female sport, the menstrual cycle is another thing. Um, I'm, I'm I'm really happy that players are comfortable coming to us and and, and discussing those things. And but you have to build that. You have to build that trust, and you have to build that culture. I think where we fall down as performance scientists is sometimes when we translate that to players. We go to coaches all the time. And the players are the ones that we need to translate to and understand how how we're doing it. So our monitoring, 
if, if I have to go and speak to someone, then, you know, it's like, can you nip in the office for five minutes? And they normally come in with a look of fear. It's like, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. You know, just what happened here or, you know, uh, and then we, we try and encourage people to be open and upfront. That's fantastic. My door is actually closed at the moment, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's generally, we generally say it's always open. If it's closed, I can't, I can't see it. The walls there, so don't worry. I couldn't see that anyway. <laughs> if it's if it's if it's closed, we uh, it's me and my head athletic trainer Emily having a, dis- a heated discussion on something. <laughs> when it's open, open door policy twenty one to pop in and and yeah, etc. It sounds like a great environment you've got going there. In terms of the monetary stuff, Andrew, then is there like? How would you? How regular would you say an interventions made based on a player, like within the team training and modification, or the other way, pushing them a little bit more? Is it is it often, or is it are you, are you try to keep, you know, the the boat going and, and not rock it too much? Um, I would I would say daily uh, because things change. Uh, I think it's really just uh, how much of an impact will that have on a session. So I'm of the belief that rarely should we pull people uh, unless we feel there's a risk, unless we feel that, you know, uh, someone's got, I don't know, something like high speed running and they've got maybe two thirds of their match load in one session. And then the following day, we know the coaches are working on, you know, uh, offensive transition. And we're like, do we really want to do that to a player two days in a row? Because I think that's where you get your knock on effect. We know that high speed running and, mechanical and locomotor work is going to be the ones that that maybe fry them a little bit they're a bit more stressful so uh, then we haven't probably achieved what we wanted in those extensive and intensive so then it's a question of speaking to the player and say look yesterday was through nobody's fault was a little bit different for you would you mind if we you know just say okay don't do this little bit today because everybody else we're going to bring them in line with you you're actually ahead of them yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you know we we found in the tournament um we had our subs in on a match day plus one and we did very small space like most people call a strength session and topped them up with some high speed running and uh, and maz running and um that was good for them but then we got to a point where they were starting to be used so they're now in that playing group and it's like towards the end of the tournament okay like you know what more are we going to get out of them but um again being open with them and saying this is the reason why because you, you could be called on at any time so we just need to give you those little hits now and again uh, when what we found is like players that have played maybe less than 46 minutes 60 minutes or 45 minutes mm-hmm. when they're coming in for a match day plus one we, we probably would well we did adapt their sessions because yeah. they've already played, but they don't need as much as everyone else. And then actually in a tournament, that gets thinner and thinner than actual numbers that you have. So You've, you've only got a few, a squad of 12 to pick from in the end, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, we had everyone available. It's just, where are they ready? Um, <laughs> Fair enough. And in terms of, so how open then would you say coaches, not just there, but as your experiences of, they say that that drill you mentioned about trans, like offensive transition, where they're going to cover high speed, would they be open just to pull them from that? Because maybe that's the tighter stuff they could go into and that might benefit them. Or would it be a case of no, for the session, let's leave them then? Or do you know what I mean? Because I think in academy football, you, you've got a little bit more freedom to drip players in, drip players. That it's more the development at first team level, you know, things get a little bit different um, from that side. Yes, yes. So, you know, a manager always knows who he wants to pick and what his starting eleven are. And I've had this discussion many, many times with with academy guys. And you know, when we talk about development, that's an academy thing. When you get to the first team level, you should really be near finished article. 
but it doesn't work. There's always room for improvement, but these little qualities are like, okay, so they're, they're minute little tweaks you make. So it goes back again is do you, do we think as performance stuff that player can handle it? If it's creeping up, it's a word in the ear to say to the coaches, okay, sometimes it affects what they're doing technically and tactically. So then you're like, okay, maybe it's not the best for that person at the moment. We will need to adjust for them in the coming days. Because if that's what you want to do, we have to, you know, you just can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. That's when risk is is elevated. And I think in an acyclic sport like, like football, you have to keep working, ticking those boxes during the week. And if someone gets it on a Monday instead of a Tuesday, well, then it's a discussion with the coaching staff saying, look, I, I can tell you why it occurred because I saw it. Let's try and change that a little bit. I, I, I think we have to be respectful of their sessions, the player and the coach. And there's a time when you you pull people out and there's a time when you just use a little bit of uh, intuition maybe and say, okay, I'm not sure that's the best thing to just walk in and pull that. Can you rotate that player? Have you got another player you can put in there? So at the moment, they're doing balls down the side. It's, kind of, it's basically repeat sprint ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, can you change that? Put two more people in there uh, so that that person's getting a, a different... Uh, repetition sorry I just saw someone coming in no that's all right mate you're a busy man if you if you need to open it don't worry no. <laughs> um, you're all right you're perfect we're, we're happy days no that's, that's that's really interesting to hear Andrew in terms of then so let's look at the day itself um like on the match day on even you know going up to whether it's a, a cup game a big important game what's the role of let's say your position what's the specific because I think sometimes it can be well, it depends on what you believe in in terms of different interventions and that, but what do you see the role is on that day from when you wake up in terms of the preparation you're going to give to the players and then obviously the, the service throughout the game and after? Yeah, I, I think on, on something like match day, it's, it's servicing their needs and what is going to be important for them. In the tournament, we have recovery bags, cherry juice, high GI foods, uh, all in a bag for them to take away and a shake. Uh, that was all explained to them. Um, and I think that support of the players and the coaching staff, you know, before the warm up, is everything okay? It, you know, who's your physio might say someone's got a bit of an issue or, or anything like that. And then those days you need to think on your feet, feedback to the manager. You know, we saw, we've seen people pull up in warm ups, they've actually gone on and play, but it's like, okay, it's your decision. Well, how can we help you there? How can we advise you best on this player? Do we think this player's got 90 or 45 or possibly no minutes? Um, so I think everything is organised on a match day, um, but there are curveballs that are thrown in and you have to really think and respond. You know, I've seen games called off half an hour before. Uh, for an example, uh, playing Washington last year, we didn't kick off till half past nine at night. Uh, because there were storms coming across and they have to be within a certain radius first time I've experienced it okay what's the first thing we're going to do switch off the uh, stat sports GPS um, <laughs> because it's still recording in the, in, in the dressing room okay yeah. can we get food to them what are we going to do how are we can actually you know, we put some songs on uh, and try to like get the girls like having a bit of a singing a dance and think how can we keep because it, it was changing every minute one minute like two minutes and you'll be back out on the pitch and then another cloud comes over and oh no like no it's another 15 minutes different states have slightly different laws and okay. um, on the minutes but yeah that, that was a situation where one player was like i'm starving uh, i'm like right let's get you something to eat and you know trying not to eat too much you're gonna have to go out and play and then yeah, yeah. 
within that, I mean, we got back to the hotel at maybe 1 a.m. and we were up at, I don't know, I don't think anyone slept that night. I think we were on a flight by 8 a.m. the next morning. Um, and that was that was tough because everything, you were just reacting constantly or responding to, to the situation in hand. Uh, so again, you know, I think actually from that you learn and think, well, what can we do if this ever happens again? For sure. It's all experience that you take on, take on for the next one. Um, you're quite active, as I mentioned before, on social media um, around different areas. I wouldn't say you're controversial, but you're very active in terms of what you believe in. And, and, so, and you're very good in terms of that you've got psychology group and you share loads of things. Two key areas I look from you, as well as the periodization, is stuff around nutrition and stuff around recovery. And they all link into this performance and health and well-being part of your role. What's your biggest, you work closely with nutritionists, what's your biggest like philosophy from a nutritional standpoint? Do you have any overarching things that you really believe in and stuff that you kind of want to preach all the time? Uh, yeah, uh, nutritional periodization, like letting the, 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 you know, I think everything psychologically, nutritionally, recovery, uh, and your training is all, should all be periodized. So from that perspective we're like okay so last year when we actually had a season it was about educating the players and saying okay today you're not actually doing a massive amount you probably don't need two protein shakes and everything else after training because you haven't done enough you know basically trying to educate those players and say like that it goes like this another club that i was at the manager told me that a player was overweight and so i you know, I was using nutritics at the time and we analysed it and it was like, this is why you're eating every day like a match day. There's different demands every day, you know, and it goes back to that little squiggly dry diagram or bar charts, whichever way you want to do it. There's different demands. So there are times when you just don't need that amount of fuel and you don't need to fuel up every day like it's match day. And I think that's habit based uh, because they get used to that. And um, so one of the things that I, you know, with that is how are we going to structure, you can't always do it because you can't control what people do 20, 20, 22 hours away from here, but we have meals provided. So our nutritionist will, you know, this year, although it didn't happen, she was going to take control of the hotels and send them menus in advance of what we needed. So I think it, something like nutrition is very uh, habit based. You know, it's what we've always done. It doesn't make it right. You know, we, fixture congestion in the lower leagues in England and it's like right pizza and chips and everything oh well, that's what we've always done okay but if you wanted to be, you played Saturday you're going to be home in the early hours of Sunday you've got a game again away on Tuesday you yeah. need to turn around quickly your biggest bang for buck is going to be nutritionally you know what can we do and hear what we said to the players in the tournament it was shift, you know shifting a curve is quite current mm-hmm. and we're like you know your body's going to recover anyway but we're going to shift that curve a little bit more so we give it a better chance and put you in a better position. So um, I think tart cherry juices, I think the evidence on it is maybe 50-50, but a lot of it says that perceived soreness, you know, are we now going to say, okay, so they, you know, you can argue that if they are sore and there's a, there's a little niggle, it could lead to an injury, but if someone feels more recovered, and we trialed it at the back end of last season and it worked well for the tournament. And, the, you know, the club helped us pay for this mountains of cherry juice for these games. But we were like, you know, is this helping? Is it helping your sleep? Can we help you with those things? So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's the area that is easy to neglect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not going to win you a race like Tour de France. 
you know, it's foolish to think that by eating religiously what you need to eat is going to win you the game. It's not, but it's going to give you a better chance of recovering and being able to sustain the, the high intensity of, of today's game. It's got quick, quicker, stronger, faster, everything. Yeah. It, you know, so players need to now look and feel like athletes. For sure. And edu- education is a big one. And the basics, you know, I will see you preaching a lot about the basics of just the macros, you know, just giving, like you say, the periodization. Interesting with the tart cherry juice, we found years ago, four or five years ago on, on a trial that the players just felt so sleepy after taking it. So mm. if they took it after, like before they went to bed, they felt like they were recovering and they were sleeping nine, 10 hours. So little things yeah. like that that maybe aren't reported in the research. Um, on the other side, then it's the same question, but then around recovery strategies, is there anything from a philosophical perspective that you really try to drive into your players and, 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 and stuff that you're getting across to them. Yeah. So again, you know, the most recent experience in the tournament, we, we, we spoke to the players about the, the restriction of blood flow in the first 24, 48 hours. Now we only had a three day turnaround. So we restricted through ice baths, uh, reduced muscle inflammation so ice bath straight after the game and then they had the option to come in the next day which was a day off for them Mm. Uh, in the u.s it's normally known as a region day and they do bring the players in i'm not over keen on that from a psychological perspective really i just Mm. i don't see the value of bringing someone in to do a few strides on a pitch and and then what we started to do is say okay so that was your restriction day and this comes from some of uh, robin thorpe's work and then then we're like okay so now you need to uh, increase the blood flow to the muscles so this is the day that you do your rolling your stretching the bike so on that second day we would have them in here the bikes were set up the rollers were set up give them some exercises Uh, then they would train and they would go to the pool later in the evening just for a general mobility and trying to flush out some of that waste Um, and then match day minus one because it was such a short turnaround it was like this is down to you and psychosocial you know meditation some there was a bit of an argument for and against yoga i personally don't mind Mm -hmm. Uh, some people have have different views on that and it's like okay so this is a framework for you to work on you know restrict that blood flow increase the blood flow get out there again and uh, the reports we got is most people said yeah i felt pretty good and you know so that's a good thing whether it was because it was new you know we can't really measure a lot of these things uh, but that's what we, you know, that's how we look to recovery. There, there is a way of doing it and periodizing and making sure that you, you just increase the probability that you'll recover quickly. It's not, this is going to guarantee that you're going to be ready to go. Of course you can't. Sure. You know, some people, if they're older, um, it might take a little bit longer. So, Perfect. How much focus do you give on sleep or in terms of how much info and monitoring do you do of, of sleep with your players? Yep. So it goes on our, on our, um, obviously on our daily wellness. Um, I haven't seen anything outstanding. It does, it's cropped up now and again where we've had to travel back late or it's like, you know, their sleep's going to be affected. Be aware of that. Um, so it's a conversation sometimes with the coaches. I haven't had to make any real sleepy. I actually did my undergrad projects in sleep, but, um, there's been no uh, interventions. Nothing's really stuck out. We have had issues of high fatigue and some some uh, weight loss, and it's like, okay, let's have a chat. And can we even simple things like you know weighing yourself or just tracking sleep and seeing, um, you know, I think self-reported measures for sleep are not great because mm. uh, there's a there's a variety of reasons. I think my research uh, pointed to that you know when we put down quantity, it's like 
it's so variable like quality you tend to know if you've had a good night but quantity can just be like who knows yeah, yeah like yeah. you think you went to bed at half nine you probably didn't fall asleep till 10 uh, and then you put down you know half five in the morning got um, eight hours well it probably wasn't <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 no it's a, it's, it's a very good point very good point last one then because you kind of mentioned it quite a little bit andrew around this performance side for the big day the psychology mm. the psychological side is quite big and i know you're quite key, big on that in different areas how do you in, how do you then go around into so what sort of things do you look at psychologically maybe not as a psychologist but in your day-to-day -day practice on the different individuals and how would you say your approach is towards them to make sure they're in the best state psychologically and and ready to perform and at their optimum optimum performance i guess yeah interesting uh you know i wouldn't say i'm a psychologist but my my doctoral studies are in psychology uh, organizational psychology so uh yeah i'm probably moving towards that area um i think you have to again understand the vigil uh, understand their routines get to know what they do on a match day uh, and then I, I really think you know when you get into the warm-up you can pick up on things you know is that player maybe distracted is there something on their mind um I also think that, and it probably comes from tactical periodization a little bit, is how much information are those people taking in during the week? Is it too much? So they've had a physical load, but a cognitive load. And I've heard players, not here, but in other places say, my brain is just like so many instructions thrown at them during a, a session. They're then going, I don't know how much of that I took in. And it, it's true. You're not going to take much information in, really. You take three or four little bits in. So... I know when I'm working with the players, you just try and drip feed them little bits and you pick up on little things on a match day. And I don't think that a warm up really, you know, give really poor ones and won a game, but really good ones and lost a game. But you can certainly see little things that maybe a little, I think it comes maybe being a little bit more mindful or switched on and knowing that individual and how they are just observing all the time. You're constantly observing. And if there's anything that stands out, just speak to the manager you know he's not going to change his team but just you know i noticed this today though i don't think there's anything anything wrong in that for sure um we must say massive congratulations on your on your <laughs> announcement the other day for your phd do you want to talk a little bit yeah. about that just cropped up in my head oh man it's cropped up in my head a few times <laughs> must be mad. um so yes uh, I'd, I'd always wanted to do one. i've actually had a couple of opportunities but they they fell through mainly training load related uh, and then I saw one uh, that was organisational health and well-being, and I thought well, maybe I need to like we we need research in, in sport really because they are organising their businesses. Uh, and I started to look, and I, I think I found one paper, and I may have tweeted it out a couple maybe last week about um, the team behind the team and how well supported uh, are they, and you know and. and basically my thesis in a in a big big nutshell because it's four four years to go uh is that you know can we relate the health and well-being and it, it comes under psychologically and you can define those any ways you want health and well-being um you know the success of a team with the health and well-being of support staff and uh, because one study talks about support staff, i think it's the only study but they actually interviewed performance directors and a few sports scientists 12 sports scientists so first of all i think i need to define the support staff but actually trying to find out you know their health and well-being because we've all been in environments that we maybe don't like or uh, and there's a lot going on and there's a 
Uh, I heard Martin Bouchard saying the other day, you know, in football, it's supposed to be a democracy, but it's, it's a monarchy. Uh, and I think that's true. People can often be scared to speak up. There's actually the, the paper that I tweeted, there's some real, everybody would have had these issues within their club, frustrations of not being heard. And, you know, I don't think it's any different to other businesses. It's just a more fast paced environment and, and people can burn out quickly. And I wanted to, I don't know if it's changed the game, but I wanted to produce research that was original and will actually be of value to people. You know, and uh, I've approached a few, the LMA and the PFA with my my my, my proposals, and who knows what will happen there. But no. uh, I really I really think that it's 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 it, it's time, isn't it, that we had a voice and that we could speak up and say, look, this is affecting me personally, because anybody that works on a day to day basis will tell you this, it's tough. Yeah. Uh, and I think support staff need to, that message needs to get, be got, yeah, you know, you look at the teams of Klopp and, uh, and, and he's probably the easiest because of Liverpool's success and the way he is and that as a person and jovial and authentic and how he treats his staff and how they mean everything. Um, unfortunately, maybe there's a little bit of dogma in, in, in football that is culturally, it's, well, we've never done that or that doesn't matter. And I, I firmly believe that if everything is pulled together, you know, you have a far greater chance of succeeding. Mm-hmm. You know, if everyone's happy at work, the best company like, you know, Google are well known for what they do. Uh, and people go, yeah, you know, I, I love working for Google. Uh, yeah. I've, I've had clients that work for Google and they're like, it's just it's unbelievable. So there's something there that I think we're missing out on because we're all highly qualified people. But sometimes that is, you know, we, we can, I see it as a pyramid and I said this to my supervisors the other week at the top of the pyramid is the result on a Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. but you've got to get all those layers right underneath. If you want real success in, in my, I could be completely wrong and it'll, you know, it'd be, it'll be, it'd be all over the place, but that's, that's what I think. And I think that I, I'm, I'm, I'm really into like leadership and culture and because I, I see the effect that it has. What a fascinating area to go into and it gives you something slightly different to an angle approach to, to, to your day-to-day role um but andrew yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you and i think maybe even though there's you know there's some great managers and great people in the industry if you think of football are there or have there historically been the right people in these managerial roles who have got big responsibilities of not only overseeing the players but also as you say overseeing the staff so mm-hmm. it, could, it could be they you know people might be experts in their individual right but managerial qualities and leadership is totally different right and that's yeah that's, and that's you have to yeah and, and, and i think with that it's like you know i know they do a lot of work on the pro license and, and these kind of things but you know if you can relate it to real world examples uh, i actually read the harvard harvard business review like i'm a bit geeky like that but you get <laughs> ideas from it you know? yeah. yeah you get these and that's probably where that idea came from and the amount of books i've read on culture and leadership and so i call it the all black the legacy effect that somebody has seen that they sweep the sheds or pick up bits of paper and then automatically it's like well we've got to do that because yeah. that makes us no 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 that's yeah. the all blacks this has been going on quite some time that that's built into their culture celtic you are well aware of the history and the culture of that club yeah. these things take time so trying to implement something that's in a book about the All Blacks is 
probably not good. It's only going to go one way. I remember one person said to me, if you see a bit of litter on the floor, pick it up. I said, why is that? We're changing the culture. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was Christmas. Yeah. Like, and it was in a season, it's like, well, it's not going to do much. Well, that's, I mean, that's basic. Everyone should pick it up anyway. If, if it's yours, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. First place. That's the culture that should be embedded. Um, I think, uh, Andrew, that's been classmate. And uh, we'll wrap up because I know you're a busy man. You've got stuff going on. Um, you've you i think from from knowing you for the time that we've known each other that you're very very good at creating opportunities and i think practitioners um and your communication and reaching out to people is is second to none something that i really admire and think that i could be more like you in that sense do you have you got any advice for people then who are especially during this time who maybe are looking for opportunities and there's been you know there's probably going to be a lot more a lot more unfortunately hardships to come um yeah. you know around getting opportunities and building them relationships that, that you i think you do really well and, and have done really well yeah so i think um i mean there is we we we've seen it already and we know that things are going to take a hit and uh, unfortunately that's the hand we've been dealt in recent times there's, there's not much we can do about it uh, but what i do think is there are you know local clubs and people that go and get more experience just try and do something about it you know be the solution as opposed to part of the problem if that makes sense mm. you know go and if you have to do stuff for free for a while and, and work and i know it's not nice people have got bills to pay but if you can do that i think that's uh go and offer your services to someone the more you can add value the, the, the more chance you you probably stand of, of of getting a little bit higher up. I think you've really got to add value to whatever you can. And if you have to do that for free and there may be athletes that need working with, not all athletes are well funded. Mm -hmm. um, they may want someone to work with them and okay, you might do it for free for one person for a while, but you, you will gain experience. You'll gain more knowledge and you'll also, um, that can open so many doors. For sure. Andrew, great advice. Um, I thank you from, from England over the sea. We're, we're, we're quite far away in the time differences. You've been I know. getting up early and, and doing this for us, even though you're in work super early. But thank you very much, mate. It's been, it's been much appreciated. It's good to catch up with you as well and, and during this busy time. And um, we appreciate hearing from the listeners at obviously Locker and Podcast and DD Sports Science. So thank you very much. We, we appreciate coming on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to this one going out for sure. Yeah, and hopefully when I'm, I won't be home till Christmas now, I'll get a, get around to seeing a few people, pop down and see you down there and uh, and see. I, I like to catch up with the people and see how everyone's getting on. Um, For sure. Unfor unfortunately, we're not in London anymore. We've been <laughs> we've been let go there, but you're more than welcome. Nah. You're more than welcome in QPR. Q more than welcome. Always Yeah, open. and that's, it's a great club. It's a great club. Nadem on a newer actually plays for Rail Salt Lake here. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Nadem, I, I talk to him a lot. Uh, he's a great guy. And Chief. There's mu yeah, there's mutual people that, that we know that he's played with and, you know, I've known I've worked with. So he's, he's a great oh, guy. Class. Great character. Really good character. Oh, he's unbelievable. Yeah, he's, his podcast is decent as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Doug, yeah, he's got some really good... Yeah, Jordan Henderson on there and he was chatting about Klopp and Sean Wright Phillips, I think, or Bradley Wright Phillips and uh, a lot of people that he's played with and that's an interesting one as well. So. Oh, wow. So he's, uh, he's living the dream with you out there in Utah. <laughs> well, he's playing. Yeah. So he's definitely... <laughs> I'm not. I'm a, the... I'm a lot older. <laughs> Fair play. Andrew, top man. Really appreciate it. No problem. Really do, man. Thanks, and, mate. Uh, we'll catch up soon, yeah?